this has been this has been an adventure in Sam trying to do something new. <laughs> How well did that work? Not well at all. Learning from failed experiments. Yeah, it's true. Not always easy, but it does happen. All right. It is time. It is time to do sidecar stories things. Tina, hello, Jujubee. How you doing? Okay. Yeah, once we get into the uh, once we get into the chapter itself, I'm going to shut down that background noise. But for now, we are doing review. Chapter 29, career advice. What do we remember from last time? I'm doing well, Jujubee. Thank you. What does everybody remember? Well, we've got career advice for one thing. Uh, Harry and uh, McGonagall have a quick meeting. They have a quick meeting in which they discuss where Harry's life might take him after school. And Harry says he might want to be an Auror. But of course, Umbridge is, you might say presiding if you were feeling generous. If you weren't feeling so generous, you might say just mad creeping on this meeting. And uh... <laughs> yeah, Jujubee says Minnie and Umbridge have a showdown. McGonagall was awesome, says Michelle, and I happen to agree with both of you. They end up in a bit of a shouting match, and, uh, yeah, Coop, no shame at all. It's a connection. Um, they have a shouting match, Umbridge and, uh, McGonagall, and McGonagall swears that she will help Harry become an Auror if it's the last thing that she does. Um, now... Prior to this, uh, they, they Harry and Ron and Hermione have had some discussions about kind of the future of the DA. Um, one of the one of the notable things is that Harry is in the middle of a lot of questions. He has, of course, as we know, he's just been banned from from being uh, from from Snape's class, essentially. Well, not Snape's official class, not potions. He's been banned from Occlumency lessons with Snape. This goes directly against Dumbledore's orders, and so they are trying to to scramble around and figure out what to do next, but Harry has one great desire after seeing that memory of Snape, that, that memory that Snape had in the pensive in which Harry's father was such a, an incredible bully to Snape. Um, and he really wants to talk to Sirius about it. He needs some kind of guidance. So he determines he is going to try and, uh, he's going to try and and get into Umbridge's office in order to have a discussion. The uh, the attempt here is going to be that uh, he's going to let the the Weasley twins make one of their infamous rackets. They're going to. They, they, it sounds like they had this in the plans for a while, uh, but uh, they figure if they can help Harry in the meantime, then tally ho. Um, I think the best, the, the best thing about all this is that, uh, it's, it's right within the Weasley's plans and they managed to succeed. They, they managed to get Harry into, um, into Umbridge's office. He goes in there, he has a discussion with Sirius and Lupin about, um, about his father essentially and how that really wasn't the best representation of his father. That was, that was what, what uh, Snape saw. But neither Sirius nor Lupin feel that that was the best representation of, of Harry's father. And, of course, we know that uh, 
you know, when they say that he grew out of it, we've got a sense that that's true. But Harry is in a, a pretty tough spot here, very much feeling like all of these comparisons to his father, all of the times that uh, that he's he's tried to feel like his father. He doesn't feel so great about those anymore. He's thinking this might be not the greatest thing. He hasn't been impressed with his father thus far. And finally, after this, um, uh, Harry's time is wrapping up and he goes back into the Great Hall to find that George and uh, Fred, they've been caught. Umbridge thinks she's got them right where she wants them. It turns out it's a little bit of the other way around. And the Weasley twins in a massive... Um, All right, Discord, I'm going to be putting people in timeout if this continues. Um, in a massive uh, display of their their rebellion, they decide that uh, they are going to just leave the school. They're done. They're out. Um, they decide to fully depart, and uh, they leave the school with an incredible mess. We're going to be learning a lot more about that right now. And with that, let's get into the chapter, shall we? Hope you all enjoy this one. It's got some interesting stuff. It's not, it's not, uh, it doesn't have a big showdown between McGonagall and uh, Umbridge this time, unfortunately. Wah, wah. Sad stuff. Okay. But I hope you all are ready. Uh, a couple of things before we start. First of all, you're not going to be able to see me when I go to this one, but anybody who's currently watching on Mixer, um, check out this from uh actually i have to put some i have to put a, a name on it so let me go ahead and show you this really quick this is a new bit of fan art from a friend of mine eh i don't know if i i don't know if i can call them a friend yet but somebody who who got at me on twitter and sent this over but enjoy check it out all right we're back yeah just wanted to show you all that um jade hallett reached out to me on twitter and uh sent that to me <laughs> i think she's new as well um She's at least new to uh, to uh, the Discord, but yeah. Jade, welcome, and thank you very much. I appreciate it. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's do this. I've got one more announcement, but I'm going to wait till we get in here. Because... Oh, good grief. Where's my art at? What the deuce? <laughs> oh, man. What a day we're having, huh? What an incredible day. <laughs> okay, there we go. Finally, one final uh, announcement. Uh, I want to say thank you very, very much to Dawn. Uh, now, we don't, I don't think we've seen Dawn's name pop up in chat very often, but um, she sent me a, a, a donation today and was very encouraging. So um, in exchange, I don't know if she's here. I don't think she drops into the live ones, but if y'all are looking for like, you know, soap, bath bombs, that sort of thing, go check out yourbodybliss.com. I I have, this isn't a formal sponsorship. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, I don't know much about the person. I just know that they've been generous with me. So I really appreciate it. Don, thank you so much. And uh, for any of y'all, if you head over to yourbodybliss.com, tell them that, uh, tell them you came from Sidecar Stories. 
and uh, order your soaps, your your fine your fine potions ingredients from there. It's not actually potions ingredients, unless you want to turn yourself into a potion. Okay, that's it for that is it for announcements. Let's get into the chapter. Let's do this. It's officially starting time. Here we go. Chapter thirty. Grop. The story of Fred and George's flight to freedom was retold so often over the next few days that Harry could tell it would soon become the stuff of Hogwarts legend. Within a week, even those who had been eyewitnesses were half convinced they had seen the twins dive-bomb Umbridge on their brooms and pelt her with dung bombs before zooming out of the doors. In the immediate aftermath of their departure, there was a great wave of talk about copying them. Harry frequently heard students saying things like, Honestly, some days I just feel like jumping on my broom and leaving this place. Or else... One more lesson like that and I might just do a Weasley. Fred and George had made sure nobody was likely to forget them soon. For one thing, they had not left instructions on how to remove the swamp that now filled the corridor on the fifth floor of the East Wing. Umbridge and Filch had been observed trying different means of removing it, but without success. Eventually, the area was roped off, and Filch, gnashing his teeth furiously, was given the task of punting students across it to their classrooms. Harry was certain that teachers like McGonagall or Flitwick could have removed the swamp in an instant, but just as in the case of Fred and George's wildfire whizbangs, they seemed to prefer to watch Umbridge struggle. Then there were the two large broom-shaped holes in Umbridge's office door through which Fred and George's clean sweeps had smashed to rejoin their masters. Filch fitted a new door and removed Harry's firebolt to the dungeons, where it was rumored Umbridge had set an armed security troll to guard it. However, her troubles were far from over. Inspired by Fred and George's example, a great number of students were now vying for the newly vacated positions of troublemakers-in-chief. In spite of the new door, somebody managed to slip a hairy-snouted sniffler into Umbridge's office. Not a sniffler. That's me. That was me a couple of weeks ago. A hairy-snouted hairy sniffler. Managed to slip a hairy-snouted niffler into Umbridge's office, which promptly tore the place apart in its search for shiny objects, leapt on Umbridge when she entered and tried to gnaw the rings off her stubby fingers. Dung bombs and stink pellets were dropped so frequently in the corridors that it became the new fashion for students to perform bubblehead charms on themselves before leaving lessons, which ensured them a supply of fresh air, even though it gave them all the peculiar appearance of wearing upside-down goldfish bowls on their heads. Filch prowled the corridors with a horsewhip ready in his hands, desperate to catch miscreants. But the problem was that there were now so many of them that he never knew which way to turn. The Inquisitorial Squad was attempting to help him, but odd things kept happening to its members. Warrington of the Slytherin Quidditch team reported to the hospital wing with a horrible skin complaint that made him look as though he were coated in cornflakes. Pansy Parkinson, to Hermione's delight, missed all of her lessons the following day, as she had sprouted antlers. Meanwhile, it became clear just how many of the skiving snack boxes Fred and George had managed to sell before leaving Hogwarts. Umbridge only had to enter her classroom for her students assembled before their... Mm. Umbridge only had to enter the classroom for the students assembled there to faint, vomit, develop dangerous fevers, or else spout blood from both nostrils. Shrieking with rage and frustration, she attempted to trace the mysterious symptoms to their source, but the students told her stubbornly that they were suffering from Umbridgeitis. After putting four successive classes in detention and failing to discover their secret, 
she was forced to give up and allow the bleeding, swooning, sweating, and vomiting students to leave her classes in droves. But not even the users of the snack boxes could compete with that master of chaos, Peeves, who seemed to have taken Fred's parting words deeply to heart. Cackling madly, he soared through the school, upending tables, bursting out of the blackboards, toppling statues and vases. Twice he shut Mrs. Norris inside a suit of armor, from which she was rescued, yowling loudly, by the furious caretaker. Peeves smashed lanterns and snuffed out candles, juggled burning torches over the heads of screaming students, caused neatly stacked piles of parchment to topple into fires or out of windows, flooded the second floor when he pulled off all the taps in the bathrooms, dropped a bag of tarantulas in the middle of the great hall during breakfast, and, whenever he fancied a break, spent hours at a time floating after Umbridge and blowing loud raspberries every time she spoke. None of the staff but Filch seemed to be stirring themselves to help her. Indeed, a week after Fred and George's departure, Harry witnessed Professor McGonagall walking right past Peeves, who was determinedly loosening Crystal Chandelier, and could have sworn he heard her tell the poltergeist out of the corner of her mouth, It unscrews the other way. To cap matters, Montague was still not recovered from his still not recovered from his sojourn in the toilet. He remained confused and disoriented, and his parents were to be observed one Tuesday morning, striding up the front drive, looking extremely angry. "'Should we say something?' said Hermione in a worried voice, pressing her cheek against the charms window so she could see Mr. and Mrs. Montague marching inside. "'About what happens to him, in case it helps Madame Pomfrey cure him?' "'Course not. He'll recover,' said Ron indifferently. Anyway, more trouble for Umbridge, isn't it? said Harry in a satisfied voice. He and Ron both tapped the teacups they were supposed to be charming with their wands. Harry's spouted four very short legs that could not reach the table and wriggled pointlessly in midair. Ron's grew four thin, spindly little legs that hoisted the cup off the desk with a great difficulty, trembled for a few seconds, and then folded, causing the cup to crack in two. Reparo said Hermione quickly, mending Ron's cup with a wave of her wand. That's all very well, but what if Montague's permanently injured? Who cares? said Ron irritably, while his teacup stood drunkenly again, trembling violently at the knees. Montague shouldn't have tried to take all those points from Gryffindor, should he? If you want to worry about anyone, Hermione, worry about me. You, she said, catching her teacup as it scampered happily away across the desk on four sturdy little willow-patterned legs and replacing it in front of her. Why should I be worried about you? <sighs> when Mum's next letter finally gets through Umbridge's screening process, said Ron bitterly, now holding his cup with the frail legs feebly trying to support its weight, going to be in deep trouble. I wouldn't be surprised if she sent another howler. But... It'll be my fault Fred and George left. You wait, said Ron darkly. So say I sort of stopped them from leaving. Should have grabbed the ends of their brooms and hung on or something. Yep, it'll be all my fault. Well, if she does say that, it'll be very unfair. You couldn't have done anything. But I'm sure she won't. I mean, it's really untrue. If it's really true that they've got premises in Diagon Alley, they must have been planning this for ages. Yeah, but that's another thing. How did they get premises? said Ron, hitting his teacup so hard that his wand... 
with his wand that its legs collapsed again, and it lay twitching before him. It's a bit dodgy, isn't it? They'll need loads of galleon to afford the rent in a place in Dagon Alley. She wants to know what they've been up to. Get their hands on that sort of gold. Yeah, well, yes, that occurred to me too, said Hermione, allowing her teacup to jog in a neat little circle around Harry's, whose stubby little legs were still unable to reach the desktop. I've been wondering whether Mundungus has persuaded them to sell stolen goods or something awful. He hasn't, said Harry curtly. How do you know? said Ron and Harry. Hmm? said Ron and Hermione together. Because... Harry hesitated, but the moment to confess finally seemed to have come. There was no good in, gained in keeping silent if it meant someone expected Fred and George were criminals. Because they got the gold from me. I gave them my Triwizard Weddings last June. There was a shocked silence. Then Hermione's teacup jogged right over the edge of the desk and smashed on the floor. Oh, Harry, you didn't, she said. Yes, I did, said Harry mutinously. And I don't regret it either. I didn't need the gold, and they'll be great at running a joke shop. But this is excellent, said Ron, looking thrilled. It's all your fault, Harry. Mum can't blame me at all. Can I tell her? Yes, I suppose you'd better said Harry dully, especially if she thinks that they received stolen cauldrons or something. Hermione said nothing at all for the rest of the lesson, but Harry had a shrewd suspicion that her self-restraint was bound to crack before long. Sure enough, once they'd left the castle for break and were standing around in the weak May sunshine, she fixed Harry with a beady eye and opened her mouth with a determined air. Harry interrupted her before she had even started. It's no good nagging me, it's done, he said firmly. Fred and George have got the gold. Spent a good bit of it too by the sounds of it, and I can't get it back from them, and I don't want to. So save your breath, Hermione. I wasn't going to say anything about Fred and George, she said in an injured voice. Ron snorted disbelievingly, and Hermione threw him a very dirty look. No, I wasn't, she said angrily. As a matter of fact, I was going to ask Harry... When he's going to go back to Snape and ask for more occlumency lessons. Harry's heart sank. Once they exhausted the subject of Fred and George's dramatic departure, which admittedly had taken many hours, Ron and Hermione had wanted to hear news of Sirius. As Harry had not confided in them the reason that he had wanted to talk to Sirius in the first place, it had been hard to think of what to tell them. He had ended up saying, truthfully, that Sirius wanted Harry to resume occlumency lessons. He had been regretting it ever since. Hermione would not let the subject drop and kept reverting to it when Harry least expected it. You can't tell me you've stopped having funny dreams, Hermione said, because Ron told me that you were muttering in your sleep again last night. Harry threw Ron a furious look. Ron had the grace to look ashamed of himself. You... We're only muttering a bit, he mumbled apologetically. Something about just a bit further. I dreamed I was watching you lot play Quidditch, Harry lied brutally. I'm trying to get you to stretch out a bit further to grab the quaffle. Ron's ears went red. Harry felt a kind of vindictive pleasure. He had not, of course, dreamed anything of the sort. Last night, 
He had once again made the journey along the Department of Mysteries corridor. He had passed through the circular room, then the room full of clicking and dancing light until he had found himself again inside that cavernous room, full of shelves, on which were arranged dusty glass spheres. He had hurried straight toward row number 97, turned left and ran along it. It had probably been then that he had spoken aloud, just a bit further, for he felt his conscious self struggling to wake, and before he had reached the end of the row he had found himself lying in bed again, gazing up at the canopy of his four-poster. "'You are trying to block your mind, aren't you?' said Hermione, looking beadily at Harry. "'You are going to keep with your occlumency?' "'Of course I am,' said Harry, trying to sound as though this question was insulting, but not quite meeting her eye. The truth was, he was so intensely curious about what was hidden in that room full of dusty orbs that he was quite keen for the dreams to continue. The problem was that with just under a month to go until exams and every free moment devoted to revision, his mind seemed so saturated with information that he went to bed and found it very difficult to get to sleep at all. When he did, his overwrought brain presented him most nights with stupid dreams about exams. He also suspected that part of his mind, the part that often spoke in Hermione's voice, now felt guilty on the occasion that strayed down that corridor, ending in the black door, and sought to wake him before he could reach the journey's end. "'You know,' said Ron, whose ears were still flaming red, "'if Montague doesn't recover before Slytherin plays Hufflepuff, we might have a chance of winning the cup.' Yeah, I suppose so, said Harry, glad for a change of subject. I mean, we've lost one, one one, if Slytherin loses to Hufflepuff next Saturday. Yeah, that's right, said Harry, losing track of what he was agreeing to. Cho Chang had just walked across the courtyard, determinedly not looking at him. The final match of the Quidditch season, Gryffindor versus Ravenclaw, was to take place in the last weekend of May. Although Slytherin had been narrowly defeated by Hufflepuff in their last match, Gryffindor were not daring to hope for victory, due mainly, although nobody of course said it to him, to Ron's abysmal goalkeeping record. He, however, seemed to have found a new optimism. I mean, can't get any worse, can I? He told Harry and Hermione grimly over breakfast in the morning of the match. Nothing to lose now, it is there. You know, said Hermione, as she and Harry walked down to the pitch a little after, in the midst of a very excitable crowd. I think Ron might do better without Fred and George around. They never exactly gave him a lot of confidence. Luna Lovegood appeared with what, a, what seemed to be a live eagle perched on top of her head. Oh, gosh, I forgot, said Hermione, watching the eagle flapping its wings as Luna walked serenely past a group of cackling and pointing Slytherins. Cho will be playing, won't she? Harry, who had not forgotten this, merely grunted. They found seats in the top roast, topmost row of the stands. It was a fine, clear day. Ron could not wish for better, and Harry found himself hoping against hope that Ron would not give the Slytherins cause for more rousing choruses of Weasley is our king. Lee Jordan, who had been very dispirited since Fred and George had left, was commentating as usual. As the team zoomed out onto the pitch, he gave the players names with something less than his usual gusto. 
Bradley! Davies! Chang! He said, and Harry felt his stomach perform less of a backflip, more of a feeble lurch as Cho walked out onto the pitch, her shiny black hair rippling in the slight breeze. Harry was not sure what he wanted anymore, what he wanted to happen, except that he could not stand any more rows. Even the sight of her chatting animatedly to Roger Davies as they prepared to mount their brooms caused him only the slightest twinge of jealousy. "'And they're off,' said Lee, "'and Davies takes the quaffle immediately. Ravenclaw Captain Davies with the quaffle. He dodges Johnson. He dodges Bell. He dodges Spinnet as well. He's going straight for the goal. He's gonna shoot and—and—oh, Lee swore very loudly. "'And he scored.' Harry and Hermione groaned with the rest of the Gryffindors. Predictably, horribly, the Slytherins on the other side of the stands began to sing, Weasley cannot save a thing, he cannot block a single ring. Hurry, said a hoarse voice in Harry's ear. Hermione! Harry looked round and saw Hagrid's enormous bearded face sticking between the seats. Apparently, he had squeezed his way all along the row behind, for the first and second years he had just passed were looking ruffled and flattened. For some reason, Hagrid was bent double as though anxious not to be seen, though he was still at least four feet taller than anybody else. Listen, he whispered. Can, can you come with me? No? Well, everyone else is watching the match. Um, can't it wait, Hagrid? said Harry. Till the match is over? Nope said Hagrid. No, Harry, it's got to be now. Well, everyone else is looking the other way. Please. Hagrid's nose was gently dripping blood. His eyes were both blackened. Harry had not seen him this close since his return to school. He looked utterly woebegone. Of course, said Harry at once. Of course we'll come. He and Hermione edged back along the rows of seats, causing much grumbling among the students who had standing who had to stand up for them as people in Hagrid's row were not complaining merely attempting to make themselves as small as possible I appreciate this you two I really do said Hagrid as they reached the stairs they kept looking around nervously as they descended toward the lawn below I just hope she doesn't notice us going you mean Umbridge said Harry she won't she's got her whole inquisitorial squad with her didn't you see she must be expecting trouble at the match. Oh, oh, a <laughs> bit of trouble wouldn't hurt, said Hagrid, pausing to peer around the edge of the stands to make sure that the stretch of lawn between there and his cabin was deserted. Give us a bit more time. What is it, Hagrid? said Hermione, looking up at him with a concerned expression on her face as they hurried across the grass toward the edge of the forest. Yeah, you'll see you in a moment. Sorry, I recognize that's a kind of an impenetrable um, dialect there. It's like, see you in a mo, see you in a moment. Sorry. Looking over his shoulder as a great roar rose from the stands behind them. Hey, did uh, someone just score? It'll be Ravenclaw, said Harry heavily. Good, good, said Hagrid distractedly. That's good. They had a jog to keep up with him as he strode across the lawn, looking around with every other step. When they reached his cabin, Hermione turned automatically left toward the front door. 
Hagrid, however, walked straight past it into the shade of the trees, to the outermost edge of the forest, where he picked up a crossbow that was leaning against a tree. When he realized that they were no longer with him, he turned. We're going in here, he said, jerking his shaggy head behind him. Into the forest, said Hermione, perplexed. Yep, said Hagrid. Come on now, quick, before we're spotted. Harry and Hermione looked at each other, then ducked under the cover of the trees behind Hagrid, who was already striding away from them into the green gloom, his crossbow over his arm. Harry and Hermione ran to, cap to catch up with him. Hagrid, why are you armed? said Harry. Just a precaution, said Hagrid, shrugging his massive shoulders. You didn't bring your crossbow the day that you showed us the Thestrals, said Hermione timidly. Uh, well, we weren't going so far in then, said Hagrid. And anyway, that was before Ferenz left the forest, wasn't it? Well, why does Ferenz leaving make a difference? said Hermione cautiously. Because the other centaurs are good and roiled at me, that's why, said Hagrid quietly, glancing around. They used to be. Um, you couldn't call them friendly, but we got on all right. Kept to themselves mostly, but always turned up if I wanted a word. Not anymore. He sighed deeply. Ferran said that they're angry, because he went to work for Dumbledore. <sighs> That's not Hagrid, rats. Ferran said that they're angry because he went to work for Dumbledore, Harry said, tripping on a protruding root because he was busy watching Hagrid's profile. Yeah, said Hagrid heavily. Oh, angry doesn't cover it. Ruddy livid. If I hadn't stepped in, I reckon they'd have kicked Ferenz to death. They attacked him, said Hermione, looking shocked. Yep, said Hagrid gruffly, forcing his way through several low-hanging branches. You had half the herd onto him. And you stopped it, said Harry, sounding amazed and impressed. By yourself? Of course I did. Couldn't stand by and let him kill him, could I? said Hagrid. Lucky I was passing, really. I'd have thought that friends might have remembered that before sending me stupid warnings, he added hotly and unexpectedly. Hermione and Harry looked at each other, startled, but Hagrid, scowling, did not elaborate. Anyway, he said, breathing a little more heavily than usual. Since then, the other centaurs have been living with me. And of course they got a lot of influence in the forest. Cleverest creatures in there. Is that why we're here, Hagrid? asked Hermione. The centaurs? No, no, said Hagrid, shaking his head dismissively. No, it's not them. Well, of course, they could complicate the problem, yeah, but you'll, you'll see what I mean in, in a bit. And on this incomprehensible note, he fell silent and forged a little ahead, taking one stride for every three of theirs so that they had great trouble keeping up with him. The path was becoming increasingly overgrown, and the trees grew so closely together as they walked further and further into the forest that it was dark. They were soon a long way past the clearing where Hagrid had showed them the Thestrals, but Harry felt no sense of unease until Hagrid stepped unexpectedly off the path and began wending his way in and out of the trees toward the dark heart of the forest. Hagrid, said Harry, fighting his way through thickly knotted brambles over which Hagrid stepped with ease. 
and remembering very vividly what had happened to him on the other occasion he had stepped off of the forest path. Where are we going? Bit further, said Hagrid over his shoulder. Go on, hurry. Got to keep together now. It was a great struggle to keep up with Hagrid, but with branches and thickets of thorn, through which Hagrid marched as easily as they were cobwebs, but which snagged Harry and Hermione's robes, frequently entangling them, so severely that they often had to stop for minutes at a time to free themselves. Harry's arms and legs were soon covered in small cuts and scratches. They were so deep in the forest now that sometimes all Harry could see was Hagrid in the gloom. Uh, all Harry could see of Hagrid in the gloom was a massive dark shape ahead of him. Any sound seemed threatened in the muffling silence. The breaking of a twig echoed loudly and the tiniest rustle of movement, even though it might have been made by an innocent sparrow, caused Harry to peer through the gloom for a culprit. It occurred to him that he had never managed to get this far into the forest without meeting some kind of creature. Their absence struck him as rather ominous. Hagrid, would it be all right if we lit our wands? Asked Hermione quietly. Uh, all right, Hagrid whispered back. In fact... He stopped suddenly and turned around. Hermione walked right into him and was knocked over backwards. Harry caught her just before she hit the forest floor. Might be best we just, uh, stop for a moment. So as I can fill you in, said Hagrid. Before we get there, like... Good, said Hermione, as Harry set her back on her feet. They both murmured, Lumos, and their wand tips ignited. Hagrid's face swam through the gloom by the light of the two wavering beams, and Harry saw once again that he looked nervous and sad. Right, said Hagrid. Oh, see, the thing is, he took a great breath. Oh, there's a chance... I'm going to be getting the sack any day now, he said. Harry and Hermione looked at each other, then back at him. But you've lasted this long, Hermione said tentatively. What makes you think that... Umbridge reckons it was me that put that niffler in her office. And was it? said Harry, before he could stop himself. No, it really well wasn't, said Hagrid indignantly. Only anything to do with magical creatures, and she thinks I got something to do with it. You know, she's been looking for a chance to get rid of me ever since I got back. I don't want to go, of course, but if it wasn't for, well, the special set of circumstances I am about to explain to you, I'd leave right away. Before she got a chance to do it in front of the whole school like she did with her, well, with Trelawney. Harry and Hermione both made noises of protest, but Hagrid overrode them with a wave of one of his enormous hands. It's not the end of the world. I'll be able to help Dumbledore once I'm out of here. I can be useful to the Order. And you'll all have grubbly plank. You'll, you'll get through your exams fine. His voice trembled and broke. Don't worry about me, he said hastily, as Hermione made to pat his arm. He pulled his enormous spotted handkerchief from his pocket in his waistcoat and mopped his eyes with it. Look, I, I wouldn't be telling you this. If I didn't have to. See, if I go... Well, I, I can't leave without, without telling someone. Because I'll, I'll need you two to help me. And Ron, if he's willing. Of course we'll help you, said Harry at once. 
What do you want us to do? Hagrid gave a great sniff and patted Harry wordlessly on the shoulder with such force that Harry was knocked sideways into a tree. I knew you'd say yes, said Hagrid into his handkerchief. But I won't. Never. Forget. Oh, come on. Just a bit further through here. Watch yourselves now. There's nettles. They walked on in silence for another fifteen minutes. Harry had opened his mouth to ask how much further they had to go when Hagrid threw out his right arm to signal that they should stop. Right. Really easy, he said softly. Very quiet now. They crept forward, and Harry saw that they were facing a large, smooth mound of earth, nearly as tall as Hagrid. He thought, with a jolt of dread, it was sure to be the lair of some enormous animal. Trees had been ripped up at the roots all around the mound so that it stood on a bare patch of ground surrounded by heaps of trunks and boughs that formed a kind of fence or barricade, behind which Harry, Hermione, and Hagrid now stood. Sleeping, breathed Hagrid. Sure enough, Harry could hear a distant rhythmic rumbling that sounded like a pair of enormous lungs at work. He glanced sideways at Hermione, who was gazing at the mound with her mouth slightly open. She looked utterly terrified. Hagrid, she said in a whisper barely audible over the sound of the sleeping creature. Who is he? Harry found this an odd question. What is it was the one he had been planning on asking. Hagrid, you told us, said Hermione, her wand now shaking in her hand. You told us that none of them wanted to come. Harry looked from her to Hagrid, and then, as realization hit him, he looked back at the mound with a small gasp of horror. The great mound of earth, on which he, Hermione, and Hagrid could have easily stood, was moving slowly up and down in time with the deep, grunting breathing. It was not a mound at all. It was the curved back of what was clearly... Oh! No, he didn't want to come, said Hagrid, sounding desperate. But I had to bring him. Hermione, I had to. But why? asked Hermione, who sounded as though she wanted to cry. Why, what? Oh, Hagrid. I knew if I could just get him back here, said Hagrid, sounding close to tears himself, and taught him a few manners, then I'd be able to take him outside and show everyone that he's harmless. Harmless? said Hermione shrilly, and Harry made f and Hagrid made frantic hushing noises with his hands, as the enormous creature before them grunted loudly and shifted in its sleep. He's been... Oh. He's been hurting you all this time, hasn't he? That's why you've got all these injuries. He doesn't know his own strength, said Hagrid earnestly, and he's getting better. He's not fighting so much anymore. Oh, this is why it took you Two months to come home, said Hermione distractedly. Oh, Hagrid, why did you bring him back if he didn't want to come with? Wouldn't he have been happier with his own people? They were bullying him, Hermione, because he's so small, said Hagrid. Small, said Hermione. Small? Hermione, I couldn't leave him, said Hagrid, tears now streaming down his bruised face into his beard. You see, he's my brother. Hermione simply stared at him, her mouth open. 
Hagrid, when you say brother, said Harry slowly, do you mean... Well, my half-brother, amended Hagrid. Turns out my mother took up with another giant when me dad left, and er, when she left me dad, and she went and had Grop here. Grop, said Harry. Yeah, that's what it sounds like when he says his name, said Hagrid anxiously. He doesn't speak a lot of English. I've been trying to teach him, anyway. Uh, she don't seem to have liked him much more than she liked me. Is he with giantesses? What count is producing good big kids? And he's always been a bit on the runty side for a giant, only 16 foot. Yes, tiny, said Hermione with a kind of hysterical sarcasm. Absolutely minuscule. He was being kicked around by all of them. I couldn't just leave him. Did Madame Maxine want to bring him back? Asked Harry. Well, she, she could see that it was right important to me, said Hagrid twisting his enormous hands. But but she got a bit tired of him. After a while, I, I must admit, so we split up on the journey home. She promised not to tell anyone, though. How on earth did you get him back without anyone noticing? said Harry. Well, that's why it took so long, you see, said Hagrid. Could only travel by night through wild country and stuff. Of course, he covers ground pretty well when he wants to, but he kept wanting to go back. Oh, Hagrid, why on earth didn't you let him? said Hermione, flopping down into a ripped-up tree and burying her face in her hands. What did you think you were going to do with a violent giant who doesn't want to be here? Oh, no, violent, that's a bit harsh, said Hagrid, still twisting his hands agitatedly. I'll admit he might have taken a couple of swings at me when he's in a bad mood, but he's getting better, loads better, settling down real well. What are those ropes for, then? Harry asked. He had just noticed the ropes, thick as saplings, stretching from around the trunks of the largest nearby trees to the place where Grop lay curled on the ground with his back to them. You have to keep him tied up, said Hermione faintly. Well, yeah, said Hagrid, looking anxious. See, it's like I say, he doesn't really know his own strength. Harry understood now why there had been such a suspicious lack of any other living creature in this part of the forest. So, what is it that you want Harry and Ron and me to do? Hermione asked apprehensively. Look after him, said Hagrid croakily. After I'm gone... Harry and Hermione exchanged miserable looks. Harry, uncomfortably aware that he had already promised Hagrid he would do whatever he asked. What... Mm, what does that involve, exactly? Hermione inquired. Not food or nothing, said Hagrid eagerly. He can get his own food, no problem. Birds and deer and stuff. Nope, it's... it's company he needs. If I just knew someone were carrying on trying to help him, teaching him, you know... Harry said nothing, but turned back to look at the gigantic form asleep on the ground in front of them. Unlike Harry, unlike Hagrid, who simply looked like an oversized human, Grop looked strangely misshapen. 
what Harry had taken to be a vast, mossy boulder to the left of the great earthen mound that he now recognized as Grop's head. Uh, oh, the boulder is the head. <laughs> There's our hashtag for this week. It was much larger in proportion to the body than a human head, and was almost perfectly round and covered in tight, curling, close-growing hair, the color of bracken. The rim of a single, large, fleshy ear was visible at the top of the neck, on top of the head, which seemed to sit, rather like Uncle Vernon's, directly upon the shoulders with little or no neck in between. The back, under what looked like a dirty brownish smock comprised of animal skins roughly sewn together, was very broad. As Grop slept, it seemed a strain on the little form. Uh, it seemed to strain a little at the rough seams of the skins. His legs were curled up under the body. Harry could see the soles of enormous, filthy bare feet, large as sledges, resting on top of the other, in the earthy forest, forest floor. <sighs> I'm mumble-mouthed today. It happens. You want us to teach him, Harry said in a hollow voice. He now understood what Ferenz's words had meant. His attempt is not working. He would do better to abandon it. Of course, the other creatures who lived in the forest would have heard Hagrid's fruitless attempts to teach Grop English. Yeah, even if you just talk to him for a bit, said Hagrid hopefully. Because I reckon if he can talk to people, he'll understand more that we like him and, and want him to stay. Harry looked at Hermione, who peered back at him from between the fingers over her face. Kind of makes you wish we had Norbert back, doesn't it? He said, and she gave a very shaky laugh. You'll do it then, said Hagrid, who didn't seem to have caught what Harry had just said. We'll, said Harry, already bound by his promise. We'll try, Hagrid. I knew I could count on you, Harry, Hagrid said, beaming to a very watery, beaming in a very watery way and dabbing at his face with his handkerchief again. I, I don't want to put you out too much. Like, uh, I, I know you got exams. If you could just nip down here in your invisibility cloak once a week and have a little chat with him. I'll wake him up then, introduce you. Said Hermione, jumping up. Hagrid, no, don't wake him. Really, we don't need. But Hagrid had already stepped over the great tree trunk in front of them and was proceeding toward Grop. When he was about ten feet away, he lifted a long, broken bough from the ground, smiled reassuringly over his shoulder at Harry and Hermione, then poked Grop hard in the middle of the back with the end of the bough. <laughs> No, not excessive. The giant gave a great roar that echoed around the silent forest. Birds in the treetops overhead rose, twittering from their perches and soared away. In front of Harry and Hermione, meanwhile, the gigantic Grop was rising from the ground, which shuddered as he placed an enormous hand upon it to push himself up onto his knees. He turned his head to see who and what had disturbed him. You're right, Groppy, said Hagrid in a would-be cheery voice, backing away with a long bow raised, ready to poke Grop again. Had a nice sleep, did you? Harry and Hermione retreated as far as they could, while still keeping the giant within their sights. 
Grop knelt between two trees he had not yet uprooted. They looked up into his startlingly, oh, startlingly, startlingly huge face that resembled a gray full moon swimming in a gloom of the clearing. It was as though the features had been hewn into a great stone ball. The nose was stubby and shapeless, the mouth lopsided and full of misshapen yellow teeth the size of half bricks. The eyes, small by giant standards, were a muddy greenish-brown and just now were half-gummed over with sleep. Ugh. Grop raised dirty knuckles, each as big as a cricket ball, to his eyes, rubbed vigorously, then without warning pushed himself to his feet with surprising speed and agility. Oh my! Harry heard Hermione squeal, terrified, beside him. The trees to which the other ends of the ropes around Grop's wrists and ankles were attached creaked ominously. He was, as Hagrid had said, at least sixteen feet tall. Gazing blearily around, Grop reached out a hand the size of a beach umbrella, seized a bird's nest from the upper branches of a towering pine tree, and turned it upside down, with an apparent roar of displeasure that there was no bird in it. <coughs> Eggs fell like grenades toward the ground, and Hagrid threw his arms over his head to protect himself. Anyway, Groppy, shouted Hagrid, looking up apprehensively in case of further falling eggs. I brought some friends with me to meet you. You remember, I told you I might. Remember when I said I might have to go on a little trip and leave him to look after you for a bit? You remember that, Groppy? <laughs> but Grop merely gave another low roar. It was hard to say whether he was listening to Hagrid or whether he even recognized the sounds Hagrid was making as speech. He had now seized the top of the pine tree and was pulling it toward him, evidently for the simple pleasure of seeing how far it would spring back when he let it go. No, Groppy, don't do that, shouted Hagrid. That's how you ended up pulling up the others. And sure enough, Harry could see that the earth around the tree's roots was beginning to crack. Oh, you got company for you, Hagrid shouted. Company, see? Look down, you big buffoon. I brought you some friends. Oh, Hagrid, don't, moaned Hermione, but Hagrid was already raising the bow again and gave Grop's knee a sharp poke. The giant let go of the top of the tree, which swayed alarmingly and deluged Hagrid with a rain of pine needles, and looked down. This, said Hagrid, hastening over to where Harry and Hermione stood, is Harry, Grop, Harry Potter. He might be coming to visit you if I have to go away. You understand? The giant had only just realized that Harry and Hermione were there. They watched, in great trepidation, as he lowered his huge boulder of a head so that he could peer blearily at him, at them. And this is Hermione. See? Her. Hagrid hesitated. Turning to Hermione, he said, Would you mind if I called you Hermie, Hermione? Only it's a difficult name for him to remember. No, not at all squeaked Hermione. This is Hermie, Grop, and she's going to be coming down now. Isn't that nice, eh? Yeah, two friends for you. Groppy, no! Grop's hand had shot out from nowhere toward Hermione. Harry seized her and pulled her backward behind the tree so that Grop's fist scraped the trunk but closed on thin air. Bad boy, Groppy! They heard Hagrid yelling as Hermione clutched to Harry behind the tree, shaking and whimpering. Very bad boy! 
You don't grab. Ouch! Harry poked his head around the tree and saw Hagrid lying on his back, his hand over his nose. Grop, apparently losing interest, had straightened up and was once again engaging in pulling back the pine as far as it would go. Right, said Hagrid thickly, getting up with one hand pinching his bleeding nose and the other grasping his crossbow. Right, oh, there you are. You've met him, and now he'll know you when you come back. Yeah, well... He looked up at Grop, who was now pulling back the pine with an expression of detached pleasure on his boulderish face. The roots were creaking as he ripped them away from the ground. Well, I, I reckon this is enough for one day, said Hagrid. We'll have to go back now, shall we? Harry and Hermione nodded. Hagrid shouldered his crossbow again and, still pinching his nose, led the way back into the trees. Nobody spoke for a while. Not even when they heard the distant crash that meant the Grop had pulled over the pine tree at last. Hermione's face was pale and set. Harry could not think of a single thing to say. What on earth was going to happen when somebody found out that Hagrid had hidden Grop in the Forbidden Forest? And he had promised that he, Ron, and Hermione would continue Hagrid's totally pointless attempts to civilize the giant. How could Hagrid, even with his immense capacity to delude himself that fanged monsters were lovably harmless, fool himself into thinking that Grop would ever mix in with humans? Hold it, said Hagrid abruptly, just as Harry and Hermione were struggling through a patch of thick knotgrass behind him. He pulled an arrow out of the quiver over his shoulder and fitted it into the crossbow. Harry and Hermione raised their wands. Now that they had stopped walking, they too could hear movement close by. Oh, blimey, said Hagrid quietly. I thought we told you, Hagrid, said a deep male voice, that you were no longer welcome here. A man's naked torso seemed for an instant to be floating toward them through the dappled green half-light. Then they saw that his waist joined smoothly into a chestnut horse's body. This centaur had a proud, high-cheekboned face and long black hair. Like Hagrid, he was armed. A quiver full of arrows and a longbow were slung over his shoulders. "'How are you, Magorian?' said Hagrid wearily. The trees behind the centaur rustled with four or five more centaurs emerging behind him. Harry recognized the black-bodied and bearded Bane, whom he had met nearly four years ago on the same night he had met Ferenz. Bane gave no sign that he had ever seen Harry before. So, he said, with a nasty inflection in his voice, before immediately turning to Megorian. We agreed, I think, that... Well, what we would do if this human never showed his face in the forest again? Is human now, am I? said Hagrid testily. Just for stopping all of you committing murder... You ought not to have meddled, Hagrid, said Magorian. Our ways are not yours, nor are our laws. Ferenz has betrayed and dishonored us. I don't know how you worked that out, said Hagrid impatiently. He's done nothing except help Albus Dumbledore. Ferenz has entered into servitude with humans, 
said the grey centaur with a hard, deeply lined face. Servitude, said Hagrid scathingly. He's doing Dumbledore a favor is all. He is peddling our knowledge and secrets among humans, said Magorian quietly. There can be no return from such disgrace. Eh, if you say so, said Hagrid, shrugging. I personally think you lot are making a big mistake. As are you, human, said Bane, coming back into our forest when we have warned you. Now you listen to me, said Hagrid angrily. I'll have less of this our forest if it's all the same to you. It's not just you who comes and goes up in here. No more than it is up to you, Hagrid, said Magorian smoothly. I shall let you pass today because you are accompanied by your young. They're not his, interrupted Bane contemptuously. Students, Magorian, from up at the school. They have probably already profited from the traitor Ferenzi's teachings. Nevertheless, said Magorian calmly, slaughter of fools is a terrible crime. We do not touch the innocent. Today, Hagrid, you pass. Henceforth, stay away from this place. You forfeited the friendship of the centaurs when you helped the traitor friends escape us. I won't be kept out of the forest. Boy, you! A bunch of mules, said Hagrid loudly. Hagrid? said Hermione, a high-pitched and terrified voice, as both Bane and the grey centaur pawed at the ground. Let's go, please, let's go. Hagrid moved forward, but his crossbow was still raised, and his eyes still fixed threateningly upon Megorian. We know what you're keeping in the forest, Hagrid, Megorian called after him, as the centaur slipped out of sight, and our tolerance is waning. Hagrid turned and gave every appearance of wanting to walk straight back to Megorian. You'll tolerate him as long as he's here. It's as much his forest as it is yours. Yelled, Hag yelled Hagrid, as Harry and Hermione both pushed with all of their might against Hagrid's moleskin waistcoat in an effort to keep him from moving forward. Still scowling, he looked down. His expression changed to mild surprise at the sight of them both pushing against him. He seemed not to have felt it. Uh, calm down, you two, he said, turning to walk on while they panted along behind him. Ruddy old mules, though, huh? Hagrid! said Hermione breathlessly, skirting the patch of nettles as they passed their way. If the centaurs don't want humans in the forest, it doesn't really look as though Hagrid, as though Harry and I will be able to... Uh, you heard what he said, said Hagrid dismissively. They wouldn't hurt foals. I mean kids. Anyway, can't let ourselves be pushed around by that lot. Nice try, Harry murmured to Hermione, who looked crestfallen. At last they joined the path, and after another ten minutes the trees began to thin. They were able to see patches of clear blue sky again, and in the distance the definite sounds of cheering and shouting. Was that another goal? asked Hagrid, pausing in the shelter of the trees as the Quidditch Stadium came into view. Or do you reckon the match is over? I don't know, said Hermione miserably. Harry saw that she looked much worse for wear. Her hair was full of twigs and leaves, her robes were ripped in several places, and there were numerous scratches on her face and arms. He knew he must look little better. I reckon it's over, you know, said Hagrid, still squinting toward the stadium. Look, there's people coming out already. You two don't hurry. 
You might not be able to blend in the crowd. Go on. No one will know you weren't there. Good idea, said Harry. Well, see you later then, Hagrid. I don't believe him, said Hermione in a very unsteady voice the moment they were out of earshot of Hagrid. I don't believe him. I really don't believe him. Calm down, said Hagrid. Calm down, she said feverishly. A giant! A giant in the forest, and we are supposed to give him English lessons, always assuming, of course, that we can get past the herd of murderous centaurs on the way in and out. I don't, don't believe him. We haven't got to do anything yet, Harry tried to reassure her in a quiet voice as they joined the stream of jabbering Hufflepuffs leading the way back toward the castle. He's not asking us to do anything unless he gets chunked out, and that might not even happen. Oh, come off it, Harry, said Hermione angrily, stopping dead in her tracks so that the people behind her had to swerve to avoid her. Of course he's going to get chucked out, and to be perfectly honest, after what he, we've just seen, who can blame Umbridge? There was a pause in which Harry glared at her, and her eyes filled slowly with tears. You didn't mean that, said Harry quietly. No. Well, all right, all right, I didn't, she said, wiping her eyes angrily. But why does he have to make life so difficult for himself? For us? I don't know. Weasley is our king. Weasley is our king. He didn't let the coffer in. Weasley is our king. I wish they'd stop singing that stupid song said Hermione miserably. Haven't they gloated enough? A great tide of students was moving up the sloping pitches, up the sloping lawns from the pitch. Oh, let's get in before we have to meet the Slytherins, said Hermione. Weasley can save anything. He never lets a single ring. That's why all the Gryffindors sing, Weasley is our king. Hermione, said Harry slowly. The song was growing louder, but it was issuing not from a crowd of green and silver clad Slytherins, but from a mass of red and gold moving slowly toward the castle, bearing a solitary figure among its many shoulders. Weasley is our king! Weasley is our king! He didn't let the quaffle in! Weasley is our king! No, said Hermione in a hushed voice. Yes, said Harry loudly. Harry, Hermione, yelled Ron, waving the silver Quidditch cup in the air and looking quite beside himself. We did it! We won! They beamed up at him as he passed. There was a scrum at the door of the castle and Ron's head got rather badly bumped on the lintel, but nobody seemed to want to put him down. Still singing, the, cloud, the crowd squeezed itself into the entrance hall and out of sight. Harry and Hermione watched them go, beaming, to the last echoes, to the last echoing strains of Weasley is our king died away. Then they turned to one another, their smiles fading. We'll save our news till tomorrow, shall we? said Harry. Yes, all right, said Hermione wearily. I'm not in any hurry. They climbed the steps together. At the front doors, both instinctively looked back at the Forbidden Forest. Harry was not sure whether or not it was his imagination, but 
he rather thought he saw a small cloud of birds erupting into the air over the treetops in the distance, almost as though the tree in which they had been nesting had just been pulled up by the roots. And that is the end of the chapter. Back to the library with us. Back to the library we go. Okay. Well, big news from, from uh, Team Hagrid. <laughs> this is not a small secret that he's been keeping here. But he's been keeping it pretty effectively. You know, he, he shows up beaten up, but nobody's expecting there's something hidden in the woods. I just want to recount for anybody who wasn't here at the beginning, um, especially because we didn't have any chatter breaks. I want to recount two things. First of all, uh, I'm just going to loop this in here again. This was from uh, this was from Dawn, and uh, it's the first donation I've I've gotten, with the exception of uh, <laughs> Nate uh, got me some 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 sweet bucks. <laughs> Give me a cool dollar on on Mixer. But uh, Dawn, thank you so much. Uh, once again, if and this is not a formal sponsorship, but hey, I really appreciate that. So why not a plug, huh? Um, if anybody's looking for like soap, bath bombs, that sort of stuff, yourbodybliss.com. Yourbodybliss.com. Why the heck not, huh? And then also, of course, I'm going to jump back to our te new technical difficulties screen. <laughs> Jade, thank you so much. Not a small secret, says Tuna Sunday. Good pun. Tuna, thanks, bud. I want to splash him with something. I feel like this is the moment where I should get to splash Tuna Sunday with something annoying. Jujubee says, how did Hagrid manage to successfully keep a giant in the Forbidden Forest for months? If he managed to do that, then he could certainly keep a dragon. Yeah, I think, uh, I think this is a feat that no one really expected him to be able to pull off, which is part of the reason why nobody's found it yet. Um, this is, this is um, you know, we expect Hagrid to be very caring, so we expect him to want to do this, but to be able to do it properly, that's something that I don't think I would have expected from him. He's not known for his subtlety, Hagrid, but he managed to do it, and uh, maybe that's why he's able to fly in under the radar. Tuna says, dragons could fly, though. It's true. And over in Discord, Cloudkicker says, or should I just call you Kit? Ron was a great keeper when not under pressure. He was a team player and listened to critiques and didn't showboat. Indeed. Yep, Coop says I think he was mostly defeated by his nerves. And I think you're probably right. Nerves are a killer. Yeah, nerves, anxiety, um and the, the various levels thereof. Rough. Tybo, I'm very glad you got to watch a full stream as well. And uh, <laughs> Tybo says, so happy I got to watch a full stream. You are super talented. Thank you so very much. I very much appreciate it. Um, Jade says, I think Hagrid learned to keep secrets a little better after he lost Norbert and he spilled a few things about Fluffy. Okay, true. Yeah, maybe, he, maybe, he, maybe Hagrid really is learning. You would think, like... He spent so long not learning, you know what I mean? Like he spent he spent years after the initial incident with Aragog back in Chamber of Secrets. Um TJ Weaver, welcome. Thanks for subbing. 
Um, you would think that he would have learned then. Hopefully, right? He got expelled from school for it. Doesn't seem like that worked. And maybe this is the difference. Maybe the difference is he doesn't he didn't care about school nearly as much as he cared about the relationships that he has. And I think maybe this is this has always been true of him. Right? He he doesn't really care. He's got a, he's got almost a a Weasley twins attitude about school. It's important to him as a vessel, not for what it is in and of itself. He doesn't mind, he wouldn't mind not being a teacher. What's important to him is that he gets to continue to, to help Dumbledore. And maybe that's where we're at here is that uh, he's realizing that, you know, back in the day, he didn't really learn his lesson because he got to, he got to continue to spend time with Dumbledore and, and to, uh, to be helpful and to feel like he really had a place in the world and to maintain that relationship. Um, but now he's starting to he's starting to realize with with Norbert like like Jade is saying, Norbert, Fluffy. He's starting to realize that sometimes loose lips, they're not going to sink his whole shit, but they are straining some of his relationships. So maybe he's learning to to keep things a little bit more secret. Yeah, I think uh, I think Hagrid is is learning a lot. Um, there was some there was some talk in the Discord about Hagrid and how. Um, just, he's got an odd dynamic. He has a, he has a hard time connecting with other teachers and his peers. Although we definitely see that he's got like a, his relationship with McGonagall is a little bit strained, but I think that's mostly just because they're very, very different people, much in the same way that Hermione's relationship with Ron gets fairly strained sometimes, you know? Um, but, uh, he does, he, he has really connected with, um, a number of students, um, and he seems to he seems to be better connected to them than people his own age sometimes. Although I definitely we definitely shouldn't forget that you know Dumbledore is his biggest connection. I think if it came down between Harry and Dumbledore, Hagrid would choose Dumbledore. <laughs> It'd be a close one, I'm sure, and and he'd be he wouldn't be happy about it. But you know I think I think Dumbledore is really the person with whom he has the best relationship, and I think. Uh, I think sometimes even that that his relationship with Harry and some of the students are kind of an extension of that rather than their own thing. Um, but that's that's a pretty loose and hasty uh, statement. I don't I, I can't stand behind that one hundred percent. Tybo says the correlation between Newt and Hagrid is astounding. I think that's a good point too. Um, the uh, I think I wonder I kind of wonder if the Newt Scamander story is kind of the story that they wanted to tell about Hagrid. It's kind of the story that I'd like to see about Hagrid, you know what I mean? Like how he became to be such a dedicated um uh a dedicated helper of Dumbledore's, not just somebody who looked up looked up to Dumbledore as a as a professor and a headmaster, but actually had a relationship where he he felt like he wants to be very loyal to Dumbledore. Um yeah, I wonder if I wonder if that Newt Scamander story is the one that that they wanted to tell about Hagrid. Jujubee says, I agree. Hagrid has known Dumbledore longer and been there, uh, and therefore him. Oh, and therefore would walk through fire for him. Yeah, I think so. Uh, Kit says, Hagrid trusts Dumbledore. I think he'd pick him. Unless he told him to save the children. Yeah, absolutely. He would, I think he would pick what Dumbledore wants, you know? And uh, I think... I think we'll we'll have uh, now that now that Dumbledore's gone from the school, you know. Let's not get into any spoilers, but now that Dumbledore's gone from the school, we'll see kind of what that means for for how Hagrid wants to interact with the students. Um, 
we've already seen it a little bit already already my midwest is leaking um we've already seen it a little bit um just in in him directly telling harry like don't come down to my cabin anymore it's important that we're not really seen together as much jujubee says i think a large part is that dumbledore locked him out uh oh looked out for him when his dad died for i don't know why jujubee like jujubee your your english is good like it's not like your writing is somehow goofed up but my when you write specifically i can't track i don't know why of course today y'all may have noticed today i was i was a little messy it happens some of these days are just like this i was just distracted i think but I do appreciate you bearing with me. All right. Jujubee says, for reals this time, I think a large part is that Dumbledore looked out for him when his dad died and he was kicked out of school. Yeah, I think, uh, I think Hagrid recognizes. Yeah. See, okay. Okay. So, so we're, while we're still on that, Kit says blind loyalty, which is just as scary as Voldemort. I don't want to, I don't think it's blind loyalty. I think there is such a thing as blind loyalty. And, you know, it's a possibility here, but I don't want to, I don't want to call this blind loyalty. I think this is a discerning loyalty. He's been watching Dumbledore. He has been in a relationship with Dumbledore for a very long time. Um, and uh, while, you know, Dumbledore, like anyone else, has massive flaws um and we'll you know we'll we'll look into more of those later i don't want to get into that discussion right now because that you know we could get sort of spoilery with it but um especially as we are to understand dumbledore where we're at at chapter 30 in the fifth book dumbledore has been a champion for good causes and uh he has worked pretty tirelessly uh to be a a force of good as we understand it in the world here Nate says, I don't think people follow Dumbledore because they're scared of him, though, like with Voldemort. Yeah, I, I agree with that, too. I think uh, um, I think I think this is different. I think there is there's loyalty and, you know, loyalty should extend to a point. I think blind loyalty is essentially the loyalty that doesn't recognize when the person you're being loyal to changes or when they do something that is directly against something that is a part of your worldview. I think it's the it's the it, blind loyalty is the version of loyalty that doesn't doesn't recognize them for what they do. They continue to be loyal to this individual simply because they've decided to be loyal to them. And I think uh, Dumbledore has exhibited um, again for for what we've seen here. Dumbledore has exhibited time and time again that his his intent is to do the right thing. Is he always successful? No. Um, but his intent is to do is to do the right thing for for humanity um we could we could certainly talk about major failings on that front you know i think uh he has he was a little he's he's been slow as far as we've seen to recognize kind of this issue with house elves it seems like um it's the house elf institution is is such a part of wizarding culture he's been he's been slow to recognize that and so i think we could call that uh you know maybe a, a failing of dumbledore's at this point in the story but i think uh i think it's important to to recognize the difference between loyalty and blind loyalty but it's important to keep an eye out for yeah kit i think there are there were you know, a lot of reasons i don't think honestly i don't think the followers of voldemort were all blind followers either I think, unfortunately, a lot of them followed Voldemort specifically because he was a champion of th things that were a part of their worldview. 
And this is this is one of the things that I think is is helpful um, about not simply calling someone evil or or something like that. This is this is this is the sort of understanding that one might be able to get, gather from people instead of simply saying like, "Yep, evil. Evil is as evil does. Evil, evil, evil." Like if we can identify some some actual data about them uh, can help us in our understanding of them, which can be incredibly helpful in trying to oppose this sort of activity. And um, what Cloud Kicker says is right. I think not everyone followed Voldemort because they feared Voldemort. I think there were an unfortunate number of people who shared a worldview with Voldemort that muggles should be subjected somehow, that they should have that they should have a, a lower position in society and that that wizards should be the rulers of the world. Coop says Barty Jr. really makes you wonder what the heck that household was like. Um, Tybo says love is the strongest magic. Yeah, I think we've we've seen we've seen, of course, that love is the strong strongest magic. I think we'll get a little bit more sort of finer detail about that later on. And and sort of how we are to understand what that means, but um, we certainly see that that uh, it has been very strong and not just in the sense that you know love love is sort of what helps to protect harry you know the the a mother's love like there's also sort of the the lowercase m magic if uppercase m magic is stuff like alamahora you know casting spells and stuff involving wands there is a lowercase magic about the love that is shown between different characters here um that i think is just as significant and we've talked about it before i'm sure we'll talk about it again but ultimately that is the love that 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 love is the magic that um that ultimately well i don't want to get too spoilery i just want i just want to i just want to reinforce what taibo is saying here there is there's a lot of magic a lot of power a lot of strength in love and even where we're at right now in the series, we've seen it overcome, you know, magic of incredible power, uppercase magic, like Voldemort has, uh, time and time again. Tuna says, it's interesting that more attacks on muggles didn't happen if that was what he was pushing for. That's a good point. Yeah, I think, uh, I'm honestly, I'm guessing it's a little bit like the sort of men in black, uh, men in black kind of thing. Uh, I know they're, like, we, we've seen a number of times how... Muggles have had to have their memories wiped based on on things that happened. Um, if you remember back at the Quidditch World Cup, um, the the Muggles who owned the campground where all of the wizards were staying, sort of where the event was being held, uh, they were like they were like hoisted up in the air and uh, you know tossed around by the Death Eaters that marched through the camp there, and they had to have have their memories wiped. So I think it's probably some some uh, a combination of. Death Eaters trying to be trying to sort of operate in secret, but also um, careful activities by other wizards to make sure that muggles don't discover the wizarding community as a result of the Death Eaters activities. Uh, Jujubi says, I think we should be careful to, uh, to blame all the things about a person on their home life. Good people can come from bad beginnings and vice versa. Um, and yeah, I, I would agree completely. We've, we've definitely mentioned that before. Um, that uh you know people have to have to be responsible and we can't we can't ascribe everything we can't ascribe a person's whole 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 deal to their home life and this is this is one of the things that i'm saying like that's why it's so important not to just call somebody evil um because i think it's better to understand you know how how one might help somebody with a bad home life with a with a 
Barty Crouch Jr. home life, how we might better help them to move toward a path somewhat closer to, uh, who, let's see, who's somebody with a rough, uh, I mean, uh, Neville, you know, how do we, how do we help a young Barty Crouch Jr. move in the Neville direction rather than the Barty Crouch Jr. direction? Now, sometimes that's not up to us, but to understand it is, is better than to just simply say evil, nothing to be done about it. Coop says, saw a clip yesterday that indicated a lot of young people fighting authoritarianism were inspired by the Harry Potter books. Yeah, I think there are a couple of communities that have uh, jumped up around this. Um, I think there's one called the HP Alliance. Is that correct? Yeah, the Harry Potter Alliance is one of them. Um, they were actually active. Um, uh, I discovered them fairly recently, in fact. Uh, but they they apparently sprang up at like 2005, it looks like. And um, yeah, I think there are, there have been groups of people who have taken some of the uh, some of the inspirations from these books and and really run with them. General says it's been proven that people with traumatic pasts are more empathetic. Um, that doesn't that yeah I'm not terribly surprised by that. Um, I think uh, I think you know people with traumatic pasts obviously it's like anyone you know what I mean like it's it is it is the the way that just just like someone from a good home life can go in a good or bad direction. You know, it, it doesn't take a bad home life to to put somebody on a on a bad path. In the same way, I think I think it's exactly what Juju B is saying. People ultimately do have to be responsible for their own actions. They have to take that responsibility. I know I'm not going to solve it here, but uh, let's bounce back to uh, to Ron for a moment, shall we? Uh, really quick, Kit says I often wonder if he thought. He was going to accidentally watch Harry turn out the same at some points, especially with the connections that they shared. Yeah, I think uh, it's a it's a solid point. All right. Good Lord, General. You're going to have to... Uh, I'm going to have to time out, you know. Um, let's bounce back to Ron. The... Uh, the the he finally had his game now we don't know what the heck happened exactly here um we don't know like what <laughs> we don't know what ultimately was his was his uh his his big boost what did he need what what was it that finally like clicked for him about um about quidditch we don't know uh, all we know is that we arrived back in uh Uh, back to the Quidditch pitch to find that there are people singing that song, that 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 dastardly song. Only they've changed the lyrics, and it is now the Weasley is our king song, and they mean it. It's interesting that we we uh, you know we've had this this whole we've we've had this whole thing where we are to understand that Ron Ron gets stressed out pretty easily, but we don't ultimately know what that means for him like why is this something that keeps coming up why is it that uh he's suddenly able to to <laughs> to fix this you know but he turned it around perhaps hermione was right perhaps hermione is the uh is the has got the theory here that it was fred and george who were kind of harshing ron's whole mellow 
we know that they can be pretty tough on Ron sometimes. Uh, Jujubee says, I agree with what Hermione... Oh, don't worry, folks. Jujubee's got it for me. Jujubee says, I agree with what Hermione was saying about Ron doing better since Fred and George left. Yeah, I think I think that's probably the way. Um, it's probably got something to do with it. Of course, we're certainly going to be getting more... <laughs> more uh information here we're certainly going to be getting more like uh more details about what what actually happened but uh we'll have to come back to that next week until then i believe it's times for beans eh shall we do beans i think it's times for beans i'll have to summon my lovely assistant I have to go. I have to go behind the, the magical curtain. Dare you? How dare you say such a thing? Okay. Yeah, we didn't have any chatter breaks or anything this round. Oof. All right, there we go. Um, now, if I remember correctly, my record last week was pretty decent. Yeah, five for five asterisks. I think. Look, hey, if I got a, I got, I'll, I'll stack up asterisks like a snowstorm. That's not good. I don't like it. Okay, I've got no water. I need water, otherwise there's no chance I'm going to be able to get, guess what these are. Just a second, I'll be right back. Instead of my blank screen, I will take you, for the moment, to our very, very good special technical difficulty screen, at least for today. It's time. It's time for beans. The three to the two to the one, let's go. I saw one of the ones from last week. Uh, I saw the, the very tail end of one of them from last week. Just bop me on the nose with it when you're done, uh, when you're ready. Uh, it looked like sort of a glass bead, essentially, because I think it, it had been uh, green screened out. Ow. Yeah, they're weird. Okay, let's see. It's a bad one. Definitely a bad one. <clears throat> B Spoons says Sam's breakdown of the flavors is pretty priceless. I appreciate it. I am a Ravenclaw indeed. Conveniently placed pot hides the fact that I couldn't remember your house. Didn't need the color in the tie. Fantastic. That's right. That's what we need. Okay. Hmm. It's a bad one. It's got. It's got one of the. It's it's one of the the like, decay ones. <laughs> um, it's gonna be either like rotten egg or vomit. One in which. Corruption. 
right? If any of y'all have been following the uh, the Frankenstein streams, decay isn't a isn't a flavor, but there is certainly an element of it. It's sort of a there's a rot to it. I th I think it's got to be rotten egg. Yep. I got it. Mm -hmm. Well, good. Ding 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 ding. No asterisks for me on that one. That was probably loud. Sorry, my bad. Okay. Coop says it's a Cthulhu bean. Yeah, the corruption. <laughs> and I've got a hair hanging about on my nose. Yeah, I think Jujubee nailed it. Well done, Jujubee. You get nothing. <laughs> you get all sorts of nothing. But but uh, hey, great job. Great job. All right. I'm ready for the next one. I think my, my sort of palette for these has expanded a little bit. I've been able to identify... They're more, con they're concentrated, but they're mixed up now. And the good ones sometimes masquerade as very bad. All right. Mm. Okay, it's another bad one. But luckily it's not one of the rotting bad ones. One of the corruption bad ones. It's like, uh, it's not the green pepper flavor. It smells like it. But it, I mean, it is close to it. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if this is a... Like, this, honestly, this tastes more like grass than the other grass did. Hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to look at chat. Hmm. It's not good. I, I don't like it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, There's a little bit, of, little bit of sweetness to it. Am I picking up any of the rot flavor? I don't think so. Otherwise, I would go for, like, kitchen sink, because I'm pretty sure that was one of them. It's vegetal, whatever it is. I think I'm going to go with, like, leaves, even though I'm pretty sure that's not one. I'm going to go with, just to hedge, I'm not going to hedge my bets. I'm going to be a brave boy. I'm going with leaves, even though I'm pretty sure it's not one. That's right, leaves. Answer. Yeah, what is it's it? It's not leaves. What do you think it is? It's a dirty dishwasher. Should have gone with kitchen sink. That was exactly the one I didn't think it was. Rats. Well, Are you sure? Yep. <laughs> Tur Turducken or haggis, says Rachel. <laughs> oh. Yeah, Tybo, I feel like I could I feel like I could really up the up the clickability of my YouTube videos by having having I'm some like Oh, terrible bean flavor. I'm not, that's not, I'm not going to do that. I don't like that. Don't like it at all. Okay. See, rotten fish, I remember. That, that wasn't the one. That one smells like the cat food from, from, uh, from work. All right. Here we go. I'm ready for another one. I saw a very bad joke about hedging my bets with hedge in quotes. This is a good system. I you feel cute. Leaves. I know I did. I'm so glad you feel so cute. And Tuna, Lucky toy. you deserve derision for it. <laughs> Michaela, this is a good one. Suck it. Uh, let's see. I'm going with chocolate pudding. Yep. Yeah. I always 
let's hope it's dog food and it's never dog food. Nom 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 nom. Delicious. It's actually not awesome. It's okay. It's definitely not like good chocolate pudding. It is some, it is some f like school lunch chocolate pudding. But what are you gonna do? Of all the nasty beans, earwax is the lesser evil. <laughs> I mean, it might be. I don't know. I feel like toothpaste is the least evil. Yeah, toothpaste is a pretty is a pretty okay one. Yeah. That one I walk up. That one I can walk away from without feeling like I. I need to. I'd take a shot or something <laughs> just to burn out whatever's left of you know sausage bean all right it wants to stay focused on me don't you tell me I'm about to eat that bean that you just dropped all over the floor. <laughs> Don't you tell me I'm about to eat a floor bean. Because I'm going to know what that one tastes like. Cat hair. Floor. Can you guys hear it? Can you all hear it clicking against my teeth? Ow. Mmm. That one is... Why not? I'm not going to eat it. It was the same flavor in your mouth, though. Oh, this one's definitely like bubble gum or cotton candy or something. I'm going to go with bubble gum. That's what it tastes like. Tutti Frutti. Tutti Frutti. Yeah, oh, that's right. I got got by Tutti Frutti. Dang it. That's the second time I got got from Tutti Frutti. Come on. Horse apples. Rachel says there are there are way worse things than earwax. Dumbledore is wrong. In a manner that I would like to imagine, sort of delivered like a uh, with a thousand yard stare, as if you've just just come back from from uh, Valley Forge or something. There's a little topical American humor. I don't know if the UK had placed any importance on Valley Forge, but. I'm going to guess probably that's mostly an us thing. Oh, okay. All right. How many have we done? How many? I think we've done four so far. We've done four. Yeah. Yep. All right. Last one. Here we go. And once again, this is as a, as a great thank you for you all. I might have to up the beans, honestly, because in the last 28 days... I can check right now. In the last 28 days, I'm fairly confident that I'm up like 50% in terms of how many subscribers. What the hell is this? I got to watch my language. This one is technically marked family friendly. I try to keep it. I try to keep it at the same level as whatever the, the, the thing that I'm reading is. Um, before we go into our last bean. Yeah, I'm at 339 subscribers in the last 28 days. Big money. <laughs> 68 cents. That's the 68 cents I had to get back. I got a, I got a, I got a heist for it or something. Um, okay. I need my 68 cents. <laughs> I need my 68 YouTube cents. 
because of that brave few that enjoy watching uh, Great Gatsby and and Frankenstein, even though those are some of my favorite discussions we've ever had. All right. Here we go. I'm ready. Final bean. I can't see it. And I'm going to read something that Jade put in there about. I can't see it, bud. Okay. What? Oh. Please. Yeah. I, it has been down the whole time. This is your, this is your uh, screen. Here. What's up? Your picture thing <laughs> with the video. There we go. All right. Here. What's it called? Mm, the outside tastes just like the last one. Oh, wow. Convenient. <laughs> oh. You're not allowed to pick them. You're not allowed to hand pick them out of there anymore. Why? There's literally a 50-50 chance they're good versus bad. I want blind draws. No, because then you get repeats and it's no fun. I want blind draws. If you want me to be your bean lady, then no blind draws for you. Blind, I say. Nope. I'm giving the people what they want. <sighs> okay. Since 2019. This is a very bad one. It's one of the really, really bad ones. I don't think it's rotten egg. It's too... It's too horky. I'm going to yarts. It's vomit. Final guess? That's my final guess. It's spoiled milk. It's spoiled milk? Why does spoiled milk... Why is spoiled milk just like yarts? Uh, <laughs> <sighs> uh, B-Spoon says the bean lady speaketh. Yeah, she does. How does it feel to be the bean lady? Agent? <laughs> Special agent bean lady. <laughs> Jade says, don't argue with special agents. This isn't for you. This is for them. Dun, 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 dun. Oh. Oh. Ah. Oh. It's bad. I just... Here's the thing. A... Porky. Stop. Stop. <laughs> I need to concentrate. <laughs> I need to focus. Stop it. What are you even well, saying? Now I know he does not like spoiled milk. You best bet he's going to get a white one every time. <laughs> I advocate blind draws. You're the only one, homeboy. Here's the deal. I I guess it just means I'll be out of spoiled milk quick. Um, I... How heavy would you say one of those is? What what kind of what kind of mass are we talking on one bean? I don't know. I feel like it's about three grams. Do you want me to go away one? Two, maybe three grams. No, it's it's not really important. It is now. Assuming that they're three grams, the first two and a half grams of every bean disappears pretty quick. I feel like it's mostly coating. That last 0.5 gram just sits there, just like pumping off flavor. And if it's a good bean, like that chocolate pudding bean, then that's fine. However, I just sat there with like a little spoilt milk nugget between my molars. Just leaking in, leak, leaking out like, like fish food. Not a fan, not a fan. That's going to be it for me today. <laughs> Tybo says one ounce. Just checked. I don't going to... I don't... The verdict I is in. It's not even heavy enough to register on our scale. Gotcha. 
Yeah, I don't I don't think it's going to be a full ounce per bean, Tybo. I think that would be an enormous, because that would mean in a full pound, there are only 16 beans. That would be kind of wild. I don't think, I don't think it's an ounce. Oof. Honestly, McCoy, I think a fish fish food flavored bean would be okay. Yeah, Jujubee, don't worry. We're we're wrapping up for the night. Um, thank you all so much for listening. I appreciate it. I'm gonna call it for the night. Oh man. Oh, I got the yips. <laughs> this ain't great. It ain't great, folks. Sorry, you're gonna miss sort of the tail end of this. But uh, feel free to, uh, if you are watching live, go and jump into the Discord. Um, you can listen live in the Discord as well. Um, if you are currently listening in Discord, I would definitely encourage you to at least check out the um, the, uh, the the mixer because um, that's where the visuals are. That's where I do some of my other streams that require the visuals, you know. Um, and, uh, I am, I'm doing a very interesting game called Disco Elysium right now, which I've, I've been expanding my horizons with the voices and such. And, uh, um, that's actually why you heard part of the, uh, part of my, my vocal board up there today. If you want to hear more of that, go ahead and check out the Disco Elysium streams. Um, I was going to use those today, but it, that was part of the reason why you you know, like couldn't hear things back and forth between Mixer and Discord today. So I had to just call it and I, I did it. I did it analog. Screw it. We'll do it live. Kit says, thank you for torturing yourself for us. It's all worth it for you. <laughs> Come check out the other streams. They are, as Tuna says, a ton of fun. Tuna, thank you for Pirate Paper. That's our unofficial stream mascot in Mixer pirate paper and uh mcquake with the hype sandwich hey everybody have a great week i'll see y'all later and don't forget one last shout out thank you so much jade for the fan art and uh our new technical difficulty screen and if you want to go support somebody who helps support the stream um go ahead and check out yourbodybliss.com i'm probably not going to be giving them a shout out every week but uh because I, I i don't know much about them but hey Knowing what little I do now, go check them out. <laughs> and uh, I'll see y'all later. Bye-bye.